So we have a problem, we being the world, and we being Christians. We have a problem, and what is that problem? Well, the problem is that the world is broken. That's the problem. You don't have to look too far to realize it's true, right? You don't have to look very far. Cancer? Of course. Cancer in a child? Cancer in a baby? Have mercy. Drunk drivers that plow into a minivan full of kids and they walk away with not even a scratch and yet the whole minivan of the whole family is taken. They lose everything. Lord, please. Lord, please. Tsunamis, earthquakes, mudslides, hurricanes. Sex trafficking. Drug dealers getting both adults and children hooked on drugs. It goes on and on and on. And so what is the answer? What is it? And that's a problem, isn't it? Because the world doesn't stop. And, 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 and the evils and the suffering just pile higher and higher and higher. And it causes the whole world to stop. It causes Christians to stop. And say, wait a minute. God, where are you? Why don't you fix this? Why don't you intervene in this? And sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. And when he doesn't, when a child dies of cancer, when a baby is born at one pound, six ounces, and then the baby doesn't make it out of the NICU, where are you, God? It causes the world, and it causes us to ask, why not God? You cured my 90-year-old grandpa of cancer. But not his two-year-old son, grandson of leukemia. Tim Keller has written and preached on this topic a lot, and so I have stolen a lot from him, and I will... That's okay. He's brilliant and a way better preacher than me, and I don't need to reinvent this wheel. So I'm going to take some of his stuff, and I'm just going to interject some of my stuff, and we'll still see what happens. But he said this. He frames the, the big question of evil and suffering in the world in this way, and I think this is, this is, this is right on. So the question becomes, if God allows evil and suffering to continue because he can't stop it, then he might be good, but he's not all-powerful. Or, or the, other, the other side of the coin is this. If God allows evil and suffering to continue and he can stop it, then he might be all-powerful, but he can't be good. 
Either way, the good, all-powerful God of the Bible does not exist. And I will tell you right now, the world out there is asking that exact question of us. And my question is, do we have an answer? Do you have an answer? Because here's, not, here's what's not good enough. When, when, when your friend of yours that doesn't love Jesus has a kid dying of cancer, has a kid suffering, has some tragedy happen in their life, it, it is not enough for you to say to that person when they are in that moment, well, you just need to have more faith. That is a horrible answer. I'm sorry. And maybe that you, ha- you don't allow yourself to think about it because it's just so, so horrible that you don't think about it. But that doesn't do anybody for the person that's going through the heartache, through the trial, through anything. So this morning, I want to point us to 1 Peter chapter 3 to begin to answer this question, God, why do you allow evil and suffering in this world? So follow along with me, if you will, in your Bible or, or uh, on the screen. It says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you must trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now, this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So just right off the bat this morning, 
I want to talk about one way not to handle suffering. And that is this, to back off and abandon your belief in God. Peter is saying here that abandoning belief in God helps nothing. Look, verse 6 and 7, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Listen, Peter here is addressing people that have endured a lot of suffering and they will endure a lot more. This, he's talking to the early church here. People that are going to be persecuted for their faith. In Martin Luther King's favorite, famous letter from a Birmingham jail, he attempts to answer this question, this big question of, of evil and suffering. And he writes, the answer is to not decide that there is no God. That that might be what is easy and kind of lazy to do, but it is a bad answer. Because here is what he says. Without God, there is no way to know if a human law is unjust or just. There's no way. We don't find in nature law and just, justness. We don't find that in nature. What do we find in nature? What happens in nature? Survival of the fittest. I've been, stand, I've been sitting in a deer stand, unsuccessfully getting a deer for a while, but in the last couple of weeks I've been stand, sitting in a, in a deer stand, and I watch. And what do you see? Bigger bucks chasing out little bucks, right? Dustin, you know this. You, you just got a monster, right? That monster that you got was bullying all those other bucks, right? It's the way of nature. So if we look, if we say, oh, there is no God, it's all natural, then guess what? There's no rules. There is no right or wrong. Because it's survival of the fittest. So you get yours, you get all of it, I'm going to make sure that there are, is no competition in my life, and I'm going to get all the does, right? I mean, that, that's what we're talking about here. No God. There's no way to say that whether any historical event is good or not. Nothing, there is nothing wrong. If there is no God, there is nothing wrong with violence. There is nothing wrong with anything that we do. There is only the natural. What is, and that is perfectly normal to do whatever you want. Because if you're strong, you can impose your will on anybody else you want because that's the way of nature. Dostoevsky said, if God does not exist, then everything is permitted. If there is no God... 
You might have a feeling that something is wrong or right, but that's just a feeling. You know, there's a much bigger problem if there is no God. If there is no God, we have lawlessness. We have anarchy. And we have people doing whatever the heck they want. And if you notice, as God has been pushed out of people's lives, what do we see? More and more people doing what? Whatever the heck they want. And they justify it as normal. Of all the religions of this world, only Christianity says that God became vulnerable and subject to pain, to suffering, and to death. At the cross, we see an unjust death, the death of Jesus, right? If you lose a loved one, we look to the cross and we see God losing a loved one. His beloved one. Maybe you are in great pain and you are crying out, why? Why, God? Why? We look to the cross and we see Jesus crying out, why? Why, Father? Why? Why have you forsaken me? Why? So why does God allow evil and suffering? Intellectually, I can tell you it's because the world is broken. It's fallen. Man has choice. Man has free will. And God hasn't restored the world and man back to perfection yet. And so, and that is a good thing because he is patient with the world and he wants everyone to be able to find their way back to him. He wants everyone to, to, to be able to be with him in paradise. So intellectually, I can say all those things. I can say that, that God is always wooing us back to him. That God is seeing the big picture that we can't see. And that he knows better than us. But I'm going to tell you right now, none of those things that I just said are helpful to you if you are in it. And you are walking through it. And you are standing in the middle of a fire. It's not helpful to know intellectually those things. It may be later, but not in the moment. And if that is you this morning, can I just say, I'm sorry. I am sorry that you are going through this. I am sorry that you are walking this fire. I'm sorry that you are in the middle of a furnace. I'm sorry. We, the church, Bowen Christian Church, we're here for you. Our elders are here for you. Our board is here for you. People in this church that have been a Christ follower for a long time, we are here for you. Don't go it alone. Don't abandon faith. Don't push God out. Don't push us out. Let us help you. Let us carry some of that for you. That is why God created the church. That is why God made us a family. You're not supposed to do it alone. So this morning, let's not be philosophical. Let's look at how to cope when we are in the fire and we are in the storm And all we can do is ask, why God?
Number one, three ways to handle suffering. Look back to something. Look back to something. You guys remember the story in Daniel 3, right? I know you guys know this story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You know this story? So there it is. They refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. They're God's men. And so Nebuchadnezzar's like, all right, you want to check this out? You want to see what happens if you mess with me? What happens? God throws them in a furnace. He says, turn it ten times hotter. It was so hot that the guards outside that would put them into the fire, they died. It's a famous, you guys, this is a famous story that you tell your little kids. It was a horrifying idea, right? I mean, but yeah, we're, yeah, it's great, it's a great story. And so what happened? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, listen, we serve a great God, we refuse to bow down, and we, he, our God is so powerful that he can save us. But even if he doesn't, he's still God and we will never bow down to you. And he's like, fine, throw him in. And they throw him in, and all of a sudden, everybody, like all the people outside the fire are dying. They're, they're like so, like, they, they, they succumb to burning. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks and goes, how many people did you throw in there? Three. Why are there four? And it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it says, the son of man was with them. And they come out, and they don't even smell like smoke. Look behind. Remember, God has proven throughout his scripture over and over and over again that he is good, that he is faithful, and that he will help us through the flame, through the fire, when we're thrown in the furnace. And I tell you, the prophet Isaiah was probably remembering that story when he wrote Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. It says this, But now, O Jacob... Listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Right? You can see Isaiah thinking and remembering about Daniel chapter 3. When, but look what it says. It says, not if you go through, but what? When you go through. As if in this life, you're going to have heartache. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have hardships because of what? The world is broken. But he says this. When you go through those times, I will be what? With you. And you will not be consumed. A couple weeks ago, I was talking about how we misuse 1 Corinthians 10.13. And I know, I'm sorry I said that, but it's true. We misuse it over and over again. 
The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow you the he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And, I said, and then we stop right there. We don't actually read the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse is this. When you are tempted, He, God, will show you a way out so that you can endure. And I think this verse here in Isaiah helps us to understand this verse more correctly. God will not give us more than we can bear, more than we can handle. Why? Not because of how good we are or how faithful we are or how strong we are, but why? Because when those things happen, when we go through deep waters, when we are burned up, when we are going through rivers of difficulty, when we walk through the fire of oppression, we will not be burned up. The flames will not consume us. And the answer, the question is why? Is because He is walking with us. He is walking right beside us. And when we are dealing with and we are going through suffering, when we are confronted with evil in this world, we can either believe there is a God who walks with us through our suffering, who is there in the midst of evil, or we can believe there is no God. And how empty and bleak and meaningless is that life when I'm going through it. I cannot even imagine not having gone not having God going through the things in my life that I have gone through. Look to the cross. The, the answer to our question of why. Tell us what the answer cannot be. And the answer cannot be because God doesn't love us. That God's not real. Listen, if you don't look back, if you don't want to do that, look back to your family. Maybe your church family. Remember the stories of people in your life that have seen evil, that have gone through suffering, that have seen it face to face, and draw on their experiences. I talk about Elijah a lot, but that was a true experience that I went through. Judy Bolton last week talked about Alzheimer's and and being being diagnosed with that and how God has carried her through in the last year. Frida talked about being cancer-free. God has seen her through that. Remember. Remember how God has been faithful to those that have gone through it before. See how God has helped them through, how He has carried them when He couldn't take another when you couldn't take another step and were face down in the dirt. Remember. You know, this is a huge reason why we come to church, why God has asked us to gather, because it strengthens each other. It's really hard to do that from your couch watching sermons on TV. But if you're going through hardship in this world, in this life, how wonderful is it to know that you have a family of believers that have been there before and want to help you carry your burdens? want to carry your hardships and your experiences look back to your own experiences perhaps you don't need to look as far as any of those you just need to pick up a mirror and look at it and remember how god has been faithful to you in your life over and over and over again number two look ahead to something 
First Peter 3, 1 through 5, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. We look forward to the resurrection. I know we can forget, but man, this is not all there is. This world is not it. There will come a day when everything will be new. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-57, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law that gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Swallowed up in victory? My good friend, Mr. Kerr, was swallowed up in victory a couple nights ago. So much so that he collapsed on the ground. And he's probably mad at me for saying that. But I I was cheap and I didn't fork the $10 (laughs) over to watch the game. But it sounds like you guys snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Am I right? And what looked like it might be a horrible, horrible ending to this amazing journey, this amazing run, that's not the case. Death was swallowed up in victory. His mindset that day. Oh, Have you ever had a dream, a vivid dream? Such a real dream that maybe a loved one died. Has anybody had that dream before? Or maybe a wife, or a husband, or one of your kids, or maybe the whole family. Tim Keller here says that he did, that happened to him once, and when he woke up, he went downstairs. It was such a vivid, realistic dream that he, was, he woke up, he was crying in his sleep. And he said he went downstairs, and his whole family was there, and he was unable to do anything but weep for joy, because his family was restored. You know, the experience of losing his family made the experience of having his family back so much more precious. He had lost them, if only in a dream, but now the joy he felt at having them was so much more real, and he was so much more thankful for them than the day before. You know, his mindset that day was swallowed up in victory. His faith was alive. It reminds me of Luke 15, where the older brother is grumbling. You guys remember this story? And what the father says in Luke 15, 32, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. 
Listen, if Jesus' resurrection happened, and it did, that means that our resurrection is going to happen. It will. And all these circumstances of suffering and of evil and of pain will make that resurrection so much sweeter when it does. I'm reading The Lord of the Rings to Evelyn before bed now. I think if I read her like one or a half a chapter or a chapter a night from now till I'll probably be done when she graduates high school. It's one of my favorite books of all time. But in the last book of The Lord of the Rings, Sam Gamgee wakes up thinking that everything is lost and discovering instead that his, all his friends around, are around him and they're all there with him and they're all not dead, they're all alive. And he says, he cries out, Gandalf, I thought you were all dead. But then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad? going to come untrue? And that poignant question that Sam Gamgee asks is true for all of us. Everything sad is going to come untrue. Everything sad is going to be reversed. Everything sad will one day be done away with. Everything sad is going to come untrue. Finally, number three, look into something. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you, and now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly waiting or watching these things happen. You know, the language there says the angels are obsessively, passionately looking into the gospel. They never tire of looking at it. They are looking at it constantly. The thing that we take for granted, that we want to skip over, that we want to say, oh yeah, we've got that. We we learned that when we first became a Christian. They want to write it off as being really basic. Well, this is what I need to teach Evelyn. I don't need to think about this. The, you, that's not what the angels say. And that's not what the angels do. And that's not what the angels think. It says the angels are obsessed with the idea of the gospel. The good news. Hebrews 12. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So the question is, what was Jesus' living hope? The thing that allowed him to endure the cross. Has anybody got an idea? How about this? Isaiah 53, 10-12. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all of their sins. 
I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. The result of his suffering, he will see. And he and it will be worth it. My servant will justify many. So, who was his living hope? You were. I am. He looked at the cross. He looked down from the cross, and what kept him up there was you. What kept him up there was me. Because he knew that it would be worth it. He knew it would be worth it. And he knew that he would justify many. You are his living hope. He went into the fiery furnace for you. And he went in the fiery furnace for me. A beautiful, unspoiled, unfading, perfect, restored, resurrected, glorified you is why he did it. In his arms, you were what he went into the furnace for. You were his living hope. And is what will make him our living hope when we are crushed, when we go through hard times, when we walk through the fire. Amen.